This is Sleep On It. first series, we explore sleep and how it impacts those with ADHD. In this chat, I spoke to Sarah Sharp, founder of TikTok Therapy, to explore the impacts of ADHD and relationships. Aside from her professional work, she gave an honest insight into her own family life and the impacts of ADHD. Hello, Sarah. Now, the question I'm asking everyone to start with is, how was your sleep last night? <laughs> That's a loaded question. It was actually terrible. <laughs> oh, no. How come? Um, six-year-old with sleep regression mm. and uh, full stress bucket myself at the minute. Oh, no. It sounds terrible. It's horrible, isn't it? You, you, when you're going to have sleep, it's just really difficult to get through the next day, isn't it? And everything just seems magnified. Um, and it makes it, it hard, does, it? It does. It does. Pretty used to it. Pretty used to it. But, um, yeah, always good, good thanks. Good, good. All right. Well, anyway, so you're the founder of TikTok Therapy, which has nothing to do with the app, is it? Mustress has nothing to do with the app. But can you tell me a little bit about the work that you do, in particular around supporting people with ADHD? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually predominantly focus on uh, supporting adults and children with Tourette syndrome. But ADHD is one of the biggest co-occurring conditions that comes alongside that. So, you know, 90, 95% of my clients have either an ADHD diagnosis or are on the waiting list for one or I end up saying, you know, we've got some symptoms here, you know, we can kind of support them, um, even if they're not diagnosed. So they fuel each other. So it's really important that, you know, people are aware if they have ADHD or the symptomologies of it. Um, so we try to support everyone holistically around that. That sounds wonderful. Uh, and of course, you were diagnosed with ADHD fairly recently as well, weren't you? I was indeed. I was diagnosed uh, two years ago now. My boys had been diagnosed years before didn't relate at all. And it was only when my eldest daughter in the pandemic, um, life kind of fell apart a bit and uh, came out the other side with a diagnosis. And this whole report was my whole life explained, page for page, just the wrong name, um, which made me go, ah, maybe I should go and get this looked into. And yeah, it's been life changing, I have to say. So, so cause you're, you've got children as well, and they've also been diagnosed with ADHD, have yep. they? Yeah, so th- my eldest three are all diagnosed ADHD, and my six-year-old is on, on the waiting list for an assessment in ADHD and autism. Wow, and, and, and seeing their reports is what you made you think, oh, crikey, maybe I should get tested yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, when the boys were diagnosed, I didn't relate at all, um, but it was when my daughter was diagnosed because it's very common for girls to present very differently to boys with ADHD and it was her report that I kind of had that light bulb moment of oh my goodness this is why I struggle with this this is why I struggle with this you know everything made sense um it was seven pages long and I sobbed through it and my husband said why are you crying he said you know you knew what she was getting diagnosed with you know the consultant and I said read this and he went ah "Mm." (laughs) um so did did he recognize you Absolutely, absolutely. Um, It actually transpired that he thought I knew I was ADHD, but it was just a topic that we'd never spoken about because my eldest daughter is just a mini version of me. Um, It's really interesting time. 
And that, that's got to be difficult. You know, I've got a couple of kids, uh, 12 and 14, um, and having kids is one of, one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? You know, even in, uh, you know, a standard upbringing, I guess. Um, but but how, how does it change when, when you know, the kids are neurodiverse, you're neurodiverse? How, how does that change the relationship? So I think if I rewind back to the early days when no one was diagnosed and it was actually my second child who was what we uh, branded the wild child to start with and took us kind of down the same pathway. Um, at that time, you know, it was a massive impact, huge stress caused rows because, you know, one of us felt that there was something that they needed support with and so forth because at the time we had no idea. And, um, but, you know, years on, massive understanding, support for each other, and therefore, it doesn't impact our life that much. You know, we are who we are. We embrace our neurodiversity and we actually struggle more when neurotypical people come in the house because we like just being our, you know, well, my daughter calls us weird and wonderful. And I, I actually love that. You know, there is a negative connotation <laughs> to the word weird for some people, but we embrace it. There's quite a wonderful image, though, isn't it? Of, of, of a sort of a family with unique individuals. Um, which we all are, aren't we? We're all, you know, we're all unique individuals. Um, so it's interesting you talked about the relationship with you and your partner. Um, how, how does the neurodiversity in a family setting? How, how does that? How do you learn to cope with that? I think, like all of us on the parental journey, you know, our kids don't come with manuals, um, so we're we're learning just as much as they are. You know, as we go through every step of the way, and it's exactly the same, really, when you've got neurodiverse children. Um, my husband's actually not the father of my first three children. They were from my first marriage. And I couldn't ask for anyone more accepting and supportive of my kids. Um, and I think that's so important. You know, he doesn't judge them. Don't get me wrong. We think we all drive him bonkers at times. But, you know, he's not. he doesn't judge. He doesn't look down at them as a negative. He embraces their individuality. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, of course, ADHD and sleep are quite intertwined, aren't they? They're, they're quite, a, a, you know, they they two sides of a, of a of a coin, aren't they? In relationship, how does sleep issues impact? Do you think uh, relationships and uh, and and how you cope with each other and deal with 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 everyday life? I think this is a really really big one, and this is why it's so important to be kind of open and honest with partners, um, because. You know, if you're going to bed at different times or waking up at different times or, you know, being grouchy because you haven't had good sleep or even a low libido, um, waking the other person up because you can't sleep. So you're tossing and turning and coming to bed late. That can really impact um, relationships. And I've actually worked with a couple of clients where they sleep in separate rooms because one of them, you know, just wants to go to bed and crash out and sleep through to the morning. But the other one, you know, physically can't. And it can be, you know, real detriment to to families, I think. And I've read about sleep holidays, um, where I don't know if it's a term you've come across, where you you literally give your partner a break, you know, and either you or the partner will go uh, and sleep in a separate room, so that actually for a few nights you can actually have uh, an undisturbed night's sleep for whatever reason. Be it you're the early bird or the night owl, is that something you do? You know, give yourselves a, a bit of a time apart sometimes just to, no, to sleep. Definitely not. Uh, we have a rule where we go to bed together, uh, regardless of if both of us are tired or not. So my husband can fall asleep before I've even got in the bed. You know, he's asleep within 0.3 seconds. Um, but we always go to bed together <laughs> and I will read a book, listen to a podcast. Obviously, I recommend that you don't go on your phone, but I'd be lying if I said I never went on my phone and went into a little scroll doom. But We all exactly. do, don't we? We all have a 
cheeky little go on social media or fire up the game exactly. or whatever it is we but, do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and is that I mean, you know, is that is that your top tip for 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 couples and relationships with sleep? I think it is really important that you go to bed together. You know, if and you know, and have that time together. You know, so I don't if you're watching a Netflix series, you know, in the living room, go and watch that final episode that you're going to watch, but in bed. You know, so you've got that time together to you know watch it. You know, and if you want to have a cuddle and stuff before, you've got that opportunity. And then they, one of the person can crash out and uh, the other not. I mean, I've got a bit of a reputation in our house where my husband will fall asleep and then I'll go downstairs because my eldest comes alive. We call it witch, we, we call it witching hour <laughs> around nine, 10 o'clock. Yeah, witching where hour. there's three yeah. of us who are quite, you know, wide awake at that point. And your poor husband's up there, fast asleep, land of well, I wouldn't say poor husband. I'm very jealous of how he can sleep. I, he lives the life of Riley when it comes to sleep. And so, so, so you would just literally just sit in bed and you'd be awake and you'd be doing things, reading books, listening to podcasts, watching movies, whatever it was you wanted. Because that, that kind of goes against the, the typical sleep advice of going to sleep or going to bed for sleep, yeah. doesn't it? And, and watching TVs. and That's all the things we say we shouldn't do. Yeah, you actually find that's really important with how you manage relationships and, uh, and So sleeping. the watching TV part is only if you're both awake and you know it's something you're doing together, you've gone up early. Um, I wouldn't watch the TV whilst he was going to sleep. Um, I will try and read a couple of pages just because it stops my brain from, you know, thinking about a million things as our ADHD brains like to do. Um, but I have to say that a lot of uh, routines have changed since March this year when I actually experienced uh, hypnotherapy. And... Apart from the odd night, like last night, generally speaking, my sleep since March this year has been another level in comparison to what it's been on my life. Yes, so that's interesting. I was going to ask you about the, the hypnotherapy training. You, you deliver hypnotherapy training now, don't you? In your experience, is that something that can really help with sleep issues? Absolutely. So uh, sleep is one of the key areas that we work on with individuals because a lack of sleep or poor sleep, um, you know, broken sleep, whether that's struggling to fall asleep, waking in the night, waking too early, so forth. That can result in higher anxiety, low mood, lack of focus, impulsive behaviours, binge eating, poor choices. So all of these things, you know, the, the list goes on, but they're actually heightened all kind of uh, symptomologies of ADHD as well. Um, so I work with a fair, in fact, a massive chunk of my clients are parents of neurodivergent children and they are ADHD. And it's one of the biggest things that we work on is sleep health and motivation, procrastination and so forth. And when they've had a more successful day and they're going to sleep well because of the relaxation audio that I provide, um, everything starts moving in the right direction for them. Mm. So, I mean, so, so when you talk about hypnotherapy, my mind kind of flicks to an image of someone swinging a, a watch in front of someone's face and, you know, you're feeling sleepy, yeah. woo, you're going to nod off. Just describe a sort of a typical session. To so you. that is basically TV hypno. Uh, it's not what we do at all. Um, it would be quite cool if we did with the name of my business, you know, having a little TikTok clock going in front of them. But no, we don't do that at all. Everyone is in full control. It's all about deep relaxation and goal setting. So it's solution focused. So it's all about this day forward and, you know, just getting you into your subconscious mind. Um, and absolutely, you know, there's no watches, there's no clocking like chickens or anything like that that you see on on the media. <laughs> Dancing on the table. You no, nothing in, like no that. Goes on, no. And, and, and I'll do, do, see, I would, I would join when it comes to one of your sessions and I, would, I think I would be sat there thinking, go on, you know, hypnotise mm -hmm. me. You know, I yeah. dare you. Because I, I think, I think if I'm really honest with myself, 
I don't probably don't believe hypnotherapy works because I've never really had any sort of um, engagement with it. Is it something where you've, you've kind of got to believe it to make it there work? There are different... Or is it something that you you could work with everyone? I can absolutely work with everyone. There are different levels of suggestibility. Um, but hypnotherapy is quite literally um, putting you into trance. Now, we go into trance every day. So I guarantee in the last few days, if you're a driver. Yes, I am. So absolutely. how many times have yeah, yeah. you driven from A to B and got to B and thought, how on earth did I get here? I don't remember the journey. Right. Regularly. That's, <laughs> Regularly. You're in self-trance in that moment so whilst because you know that drive right. you can drive it you know with one half of your body essentially doing that whilst the other half of your brain is in that trance and working through all the things that you need to be working through the same as when we are in the gym on a run watching wow. tv trance isn't taking control of your body and making you do things you don't wish to do it's all about deep relaxation so presumably then that that's I mean that's that's a really good opportunity for, for for people to learn new skills and to develop new coping mechanisms because you know you, you haven't even got to be put into a trance because it's happening naturally. So is is that something that, you know is that something people can do they can um they they can tune into to, to podcasts or to uh apps whatever and actually I'm not going to say read a book because that's really dangerous when you're driving a car but is there things that people can do while they're driving? Um, that actually they can use that that self-induced trance to to develop. Coping so mechanisms? I would say never try and put yourself into trance whilst driving, um, because for well, for obvious reasons. Um, when we go into trance naturally when driving, it's for a reason it's because we know that route off the back of our hands and we have the ability to kind of work on two things at the same time. But yes, within the services I provide, I can teach people how to self-hypnotize and work on getting the very best of themselves. You know, and that's reducing anxiety, reducing uh, low mood, increasing confidence, um, mm. increasing focus, uh, reducing binge eating, phobias, you know, whatever it is. And at the end of the day, and they might not be linked directly to sleep, but if they're filling your stress bucket, they will be impacting your sleep. No, of course. Um, on your social media page, you talk a lot about transitions being difficult at times. Now, there's, you know, with, as far as sleep is concerned, people often talk about that transition into sleep and, and building routines. But have you got any tips to manage those bedtime transitions? Yeah, I think it's so important that you don't have that bedtime dread. It's something I've heard from many people, but it's something I've experienced myself as well. You know, after dinner time, you almost get an anxiety of, Am I going to be able to sleep tonight? I wonder how long it takes me to go to sleep. Oh, I wonder how many times I'm going to toss and turn. You know, so all of those negative thoughts go through and you start getting that bedtime dread. So bedtime needs to be pleasurable, you know, so making a positive routine, making sure that we actually start our sleep routine from first thing in the morning. So if you're medicated for ADHD on stimulants, take them first thing in the morning. Because if you take them too late, they're going to impact your sleep. Um, don't have caffeine after 12 o'clock. And I don't just mean, you know, your Costa. I'm talking herbal teas have caffeine in, you know, tea, hot chocolates, um, chocolate in itself, as well as as coffee. And then, you know, having a hot shower or bath before bed. Um, because if we have a really hot bath or shower, it makes our body naturally cool down quicker, which will make us fall asleep quicker, as I'm sure you already know. Um, and, you know, staying off electronics, not too much TV, all of those kind of things before bed. <laughs> Which none of us do, do. It's really difficult, so isn't it? Difficult. It's really, really difficult to... to, to and, it's, and it's a habit, isn't it? And habits are really difficult to kick. But you're absolutely right. Trying to keep off devices is, 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 is powerful. But actually, for a lot of people, it can help, can't it? There's, there's a lot of apps out there that can help calm people down 
and help with that transition um, into sleep. Now, you're, you've, you've conjured up this image of your family life being quite hectic, um, as I'm sure you know, a lot of people's lives are, are, are quite hectic. But how do you sort of promote calmness on the run-up to bedtime? It's quite interesting you say that, because generally speaking, every, everyone does presume that my house is, you know, crazy and a whirlwind, but it's not. It, you know, of course we have our moments, you know, especially transitioning out the house is usually one of them if we've got the time um, to, to be somewhere. Generally speaking, the house is calm apart from witching hour when my daughter comes alive. Um, and uh, But yeah, generally speaking, it, it is okay. It's not, you know, too much. But one thing I will say is that we did have to learn very early on that everyone needs their own space. So their own bedrooms, you know, so they can have that time out so they can separate themselves if they need to. Bedroom sharing didn't work for us. We, we mixed all the kids in different angles, different rooms. It really didn't work it was really, really key for us that everyone had their own space to, to be able to get the calm that we needed. And that works for, for you, and I'm sure that's, that's something that's going to work for everyone. Now, if you could share one tip around sleep, ADHD, relationship management, one tip with the listeners, what would your tip be? Um, reach out to a solution-focused hypnotherapist. It doesn't have to be me. This isn't a, you know, a plug to come to me or anything, but if you can find someone, you can do it over Zoom or you can do face-to-face it will help you, you know, with ADHD and sleep and anxiety and anything else that you're struggling with in life. That's wonderful. Well, Sarah Sharp from TikTok Therapy, and it's nothing to do with the app, is it TikTok? Um, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to learn about your family and witching hour, but it's been a pleasure for you to join us. Thank you very much. Indeed. Thank you. Well, that was really interesting. To help you reflect on what we've just been talking about, here's an immersive soundscape that's been specially composed for relaxation for those with ADHD. To learn more, go to thesleepcharity.org.uk.